Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. If you did not know the true meaning of Christmas, what would you think the meaning of Christmas was by watching television, going to the mall, and looking at the cards in the shops. I doubt very seriously if you would get enough of a message that you would know what the true meaning of Christmas was. Drunken office parties, crass commercialism, people that are fighting over sizes on sale racks, the day after lines for bigger sales on the 26th and to exchange the things they didn't like on the 25th, you would wonder, what's this all about? What is the real meaning of Christmas? In a society where more and more, even in parts of the country where you would never think it would happen, the nativity scene is being removed because it's not politically correct. And Christians are increasingly becoming consumed by getting. You would begin to wonder if we understand the meaning of Christmas. If we really know what it's all about. In fact, in the mindset of the last 20 or 30 years, we have been moving toward a Scrooge mentality. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get and what I can keep. And so I want to talk to you this morning about transforming Scrooge, which is the Christmas carol, the story of it, the transformation that happens in Ebenezer Scrooge, and how that transformation of Scrooge can also be a transformation of you. The Christmas carol is one of the most popular and well-known books in all of English literature. It has been read by countless millions of people. It has been turned into countless dozens of TV shows and movies. Even the Muppets did the Christmas Carol. Everybody knows the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and Tiny Tim and the ghost of Christmas present and past and future. But I think there are some lessons to be learned from the Christmas carol. And I want us to look at those this morning. And there are four that I want us to see this morning. And then we're going to learn some lessons from Luke's gospel to tell us what the real meaning of Christmas is. In this classic piece of literature, which by the way has many, many Christian overtones and has an underlying theme in it about discovering what Christmas is all about. There are some spiritual lessons. Lesson number one is you can't run from your past or your problems. Ebenezer Scrooge tried to hide. He built a wall. He had a facade. His defense mechanisms that he built up only served to hurt himself. He was trying to ignore or run from his past. The love of his life was gone, and he became a bitter cynical, angry, growling old man 
who everyone lived in fear of. Nobody really wanted to be around him. Ebenezer Scrooge was a, was a man who needed to be reminded to take inventory, a moral inventory, a spiritual inventory, a financial inventory, a personal inventory. You and I need to understand that if we're going to be transformed, then you cannot ignore your past, run from it, hide from it, build a wall around it. You have to learn to deal with it. And you have to learn to deal with it in an acceptable and an appropriate way. There are inappropriate ways to handle situations in your past. There are appropriate ways to handle situations in your past. And as Christians, we have a power within us that allows us to handle situations in our past that could bind us and drag us down, that actually liberates us and allows us to have that as a part of our testimony, but not to be in bondage to it. Secondly, Compassion for others is the key to a healthy life. Compassion for others is the key to a healthy life. This is a reverse of the me first mentality. To have compassion for others. Scrooge had a change of heart about others. He had a change of heart when he realized the condition of Tiny Tim. And then all of a sudden, he went from being a taker to a giver. He went from being so focused on how am I going to make more money to how can I be a blessing to somebody else? You see, you and I, to understand the message of Christmas, have to have compassion. Uh, I made a two-day trip this week to uh, Oxford, Mississippi. We saw a basketball game, and we met some folks there, and there there were uh, four of us that went. Uh, Frank Griffin went, Jimmy Fields went, Jay Flint, and myself. And so we went, and, and we ate, and so I wore a bigger suit this morning. Uh, for two days of eating. And, but we went to Dreamland Barbecue in uh, Birmingham on uh, Thursday night. And we were sitting there and we were eating and we were trying to get home as quick as we could. And it was late and it was getting dark. And, and this lady had waited on us. And I could tell she was from another country. She had, she had a foreign accent. And so uh, as, as she began to pick up the plates, I don't know, I said something to her like, you know, you better watch it. You got a table full of preachers and, and, and laymen and coaches sitting, sitting around here. And so then I just, I mean, the Lord just prompted me and I said, is there anything we can pray with you about? And she said, she kind of got startled and she said, I need a job. I haven't had a full-time job since May. And I said, what's your name? She said, Margaret. I said, where are you from? She said, Kenya. And so when she came back to the table, we gave her a tip that was twice the size of the cost of the meal. And I said to her, Margaret, I want you to take this because I know somebody needs a good Christmas this year. And I want you to remember that it came from people who love Jesus and that Jesus loves you. And tears welled up in her eyes and she went back and she started calling the other waiters and waitresses around and and she came back out and as I was leaving... She put her arm around me and she said, thank you. I said, Margaret, Jesus loves you. And I'm going to pray that he gives you a job. And I pray that you have a Merry Christmas. You see, folks, we could have just been so focused on eating our meal and getting home that we missed an opportunity to show compassion. 
Don't go so fast through these holidays. Don't try to get through the lights so quickly. Don't try to get up to the front of the line so fast that you miss the fact that there are people there that are dealing with decisions and issues in their lives that are far greater than what size clothes to buy. They're hurting. Some of them have loved ones that won't be here next Christmas. Some of them have loved ones that are, that are hurting and they don't know what to do to help them. Some of them are trying to explain to their kids why it's not going to be a great Christmas. And compassion for others is one of the lessons that, that Scrooge had to learn. That Tiny Tim had a need and he could meet it. Nobody else, Scrooge could meet it because he found out, he knew who the kid was, he saw the situation, and he said, I'll do something about that. Don't keep it to yourself when it's all about trying to find ways to help others. Compassion is the key to a healthy life. Number three, it's about coming to terms with your mortality. Scrooge could not bring himself to look at his own corpse. When the ghost of future took him and told him to look, he said, I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. And when the ghost of the future took him to his own grave marker and told him to read his name on that grave marker, he didn't want to do it. He couldn't do it. He wanted to live in denial of his mortality. He thought that having enough and getting enough and keeping it would make him happy. There's a movie out, out now, and I have not seen it, probably won't, called The Aviator, the story of Howard Hughes. Here's a man that could have bought the whole city of Albany and died with long fingernails and long toes and bad health because he isolated himself from the world. Because he said, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And what yours, I'm going to try to get so you don't have it. And he died a miserable, wretched old man. And if the ghost of the future could take us and show us the day of our death and the date of our death, we would live life differently. Because we would realize that we are mortal men doomed to die and eternity is ahead of us. And we would think and act differently, especially at Christmas. Number four. Spiritual transformation is possible. I don't care where you are or who you are or what you've gone through. Spiritual transformation is possible. I mean, you remember Scrooge? Bah humbug. Ah. But now Christmas means something to him. In fact, I want to read to you the last paragraph or so in the end of the book, which describes the transformation of Ebenezer Scrooge. He became a good friend, as good a master and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And knowing that such of these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well 
if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. We have some lessons to learn from the Christmas carol and from Ebenezer Scrooge, but I want us to look at some lessons from the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2, and I want to read verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged with him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straightway to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told to them. Christmas is more than the gifts we give, than the food we eat, than the family we see, and the presents we unwrap. The birth of Jesus Christ is unlike any other birth in the history of mankind. Because he's the only one who existed before he was born. The second person of the Godhead came as a man, born of a virgin, fathered by the Holy Spirit, and in the fullness of time came to earth to be our Redeemer. He is our kinsman Redeemer, our Savior, our Deliverer. God became man so that we could become children of God. We were alienated 
and strangers. We were at enmity with God. We were enemies of God. We could not save ourselves. Our sin separated us from God. But God so loved us that before man ever came into existence on this earth, before the creation of the Garden of Eden, God set a plan knowing that we would rebel. And he said, my son will go. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit agreed that Jesus was the Redeemer, that by the shedding of blood there could be remission of sins. And so a sinless child was born. And he walked this earth for 30 years like everybody else walked it. And then the last three years of his life, he began to preach the gospel. And he began to call disciples. And he began to let people know what his purpose was. And three years into that ministry, religious people who were caught up in themselves, who were so blind that they could not even understand what the Scripture was saying that they were reading on the pages and memorizing and putting in their head. The religious people killed him. The greatest gift of love the world has ever known was put on a cross to die for you and me. He died so you would not have to die. He paid the price because you couldn't pay the price. He built the bridge that connected you back to God. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about being familiar with the Christmas story. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's some things you need to do today. First, you need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You need to understand that you will not get there through any other gods of this world or any other religious leaders, that the only way that you're ever going to spend eternity in heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not by your good works. It's not by good deeds. It's not by giving a tip to a waitress at Dreamland. That's not going to get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is to come and acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and admit that you are a sinner and you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do. It's not of works lest any man should boast. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means me, that means you. Every one of us stand guilty before God except for the fact that some of us have found Jesus Christ to be the source of forgiveness for our guilt. And so you have to admit you're a sinner. And then you have to repent. That means to change the direction of your life and turn around and quit walking in the ways that you want to walk and turn and begin to walk in the ways of God and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And in just a few moments, we're going to give an invitation. We're going to sing the song that we sang at the very beginning. And when we sing that song, I'm going to unapologetically ask you to step out from where you are. Whether you're a church member or you're a first-time guest or whoever you are, I'm going to ask you to step out and come down these aisles and find one of our ministers. And I'm going to ask you to say to them, I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It is the greatest gift you'll ever get for Christmas. It is the greatest thing you'll ever do for yourself. It is the greatest gift you could ever give to your family. It is the greatest gift you could ever give to your friends. It is a personal relationship that transforms you from a getter to a giver. From someone self-centered to someone other-centered. For the spiritual transformation that takes place through Jesus Christ. That is what is offered to you today.
And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come down and make that decision. And listen, nobody here will be upset that you do that. There will be rejoicing in heaven, the scriptures say, when one comes to Christ. There will be rejoicing all over this room that you follow the will of God to be saved. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation and redemption. And so I want to encourage you today to make a turn. Now, for those of us who know Christ, the shepherds give us some lessons on how we are to celebrate Christmas. So let's look at them if we could. First of all, we have good news to share. We have good news to share. We are to gossip the gospel. We have a lot of good news to share. They came to Bethlehem and they did four things. They saw Jesus. I mean, they looked and they saw. They, they obeyed. And by obeying, they saw Jesus. After they saw him, they left because it's not about sitting in church in a holy huddle and just talking to other Christians about how good Jesus is. It's about leaving, and they told. And in telling, they glorified God. So they saw Jesus, they left after they saw him, they told others what they had seen, and they glorified and praised God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's good news. We have good news to share. They had seen Jesus. They could not get over the fact of what they had just been told. Now, I want you to put this in the context of these men. Here are these shepherds out in the field. They're not even making what we would call hourly wages. They're the poorest of the poor. They don't own the sheep. They're just the keeper of the sheep. And they're working late. Everybody else is at home in bed. They're standing out in the field, probably talking about everybody else's home in bed. But we're out here with these smelly sheep. And suddenly, an angel shows up. They didn't have a cell phone. Mama, you're not going to believe what I just saw. They, just, they were stunned. An angel showed up. And then a whole choir showed up. And they began to sing and glorify God. And the angel told them what was going to happen. And they left and they took off to Bethlehem. Do you notice they didn't have a committee meeting? Do you notice that they didn't take a vote? You think we ought to go? Do you notice that they didn't have a program? Did you notice that they didn't sign up for anything? They just left and went to Bethlehem. And then they didn't get commissioned or... Nobody laid hands on them or nobody did it. They just left and started telling. They did what comes natural when you hear good news. You tell it. You share it with other people. Not only did they have a story to tell, they knew who needed to hear it. They left and they were praising God and they were telling others, where did they go? Back to where all the other shepherds were. And on their way from that sheepfold to Bethlehem and back, they were saying, we're going, we're going to see. We don't know how many there were. We're going to see something. We just saw an angel. And somebody said, you know, they've been watching way too much Jerry Springer. But they left and they saw and then they went back and they told people, who did they tell? Who did the angel appear to? Now, this is important, folks. The angel did not appear to the king He appeared to common people caught up in meaningless jobs 
in the everyday grind of life, he appeared to folks like us, just regular old B-flat folks. Nothing fancy, nothing special, nothing unique. He didn't show up at the Miss America pageant. He showed up with just people. And they went back and told other people. Now they had a purpose, not just being shepherds, but being messengers of the good news. And here's what they told. The world was lost. They said, Jesus is the way. We've just met the Messiah. The world was dying, and they said, Jesus is the life. They were confused by all the religious laws of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they said, Jesus is the truth. Forget all that baggage that these religious people have been laying on us. We have found the truth, and the truth is a person. And that person is named Jesus, Jehovah saves. Secondly, not only do we have good news to share, we need to recapture the wonder of it all. Chapter 2 in verse 18, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were amazed. The people that the shepherds talked to, they didn't go, Well, that's nice, I'll think about it. Well, we're not interested today. They were amazed. Now, there are two kinds of amazement, folks. One is an amazement that you get over. That's like a sporting event. And you go, wow, that was great. And five years later, you don't remember who won. That was incredible. Where were you seated? I don't remember. It was somewhere. I don't know. You see, you can have an amazement that you get over. But there is an amazement that you don't get over. And that's when you have a divine appointment and a divine encounter that so transforms you and so changes you that the people around you are amazed at what's happened to you. That's transformation. That's not just picking up a few pieces and trying to mold it a little better and, and redecorating the outside of your life. That is a spiritual transformation that when people see you and hear you, they are amazed and in awe of what God has done in your life. That's what happened to these shepherds. You know, we serve an amazing God. I don't know if you thought about that. He said that nothing becomes something, and it did. And he didn't have anybody there to see it. He took the Red Sea and he just parted it. You know, you had the old professor in seminary who said, well, it really wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and it wasn't really a sea, it was just a foot of mud and murky water. Wow, God drowned a million Egyptians in mud and murky water. That's incredible. That guy that did that's never been stuck in red clay in South Georgia. He wouldn't have said that. Because we would have never gotten across. He parted the Red Sea. He delivered Daniel in the lion's den, the three Hebrew children out of the fire. He turned a, a manger into a stable where there was worship. And he turned a piece of cross that was an instrument of death into the source of life. Only God can do that. He's an amazing God. He transformed people's lives who were scared after the death of Christ into bold witnesses in the book of Acts that changed an entire nation. God's amazing. 
And because he is amazing, there are a couple of things we need to do. First of all, I think we need to teach our children the real meaning of Christmas. It's an amazing story. Ever since our girls were little, first thing on Christmas morning is not who can get up first and unwrap the gifts. The first thing on Christmas morning is everybody comes into our room and we read the Christmas story. We read what I read this morning. Because the meaning of Christmas is not what's in the stockings, it's not what's under the tree, it's not what Santa brought. The meaning of Christmas is the story of Christ. And we begin Christmas Day every year as a tradition in our home, reading the Christmas story before we eat, before we do anything else. Now, I will testify there are exceptions. When our kids were little and we videotaped, Terry and I did clean up a little bit before we turned the camera on. I mean, hey, pride, envy, whatever you want to call it, it's just, we just did it. But we need to teach our kids the meaning of Christmas. Because, you know, there's going to come a time when your kids or your grandkids and my grandkids are going to ride through neighborhoods and they're never going to see a nativity scene. They're going to see Frosty, and they're going to see Reindeer, and they're going to see Santa Claus. But the day's coming in this country where there won't be any nativity scenes. And if you don't pass on the story, the story will be forever lost in your family. You need to teach your children what it's all about. Even when they get the gifts, you need to remind them that it's about giving. In fact, I would encourage you as a family to find ways to give gifts to other people. My friend Wayne Watson, his family, what they do is they go out and buy whatever they have spent on any one member of the family. They go out and buy an equal amount and they take it to a family in town they don't know but they just drive until they see a neighborhood where it looks like things are not real good and they just go and they just say Merry Christmas no strings attached nothing to get back because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive so we need to teach our children secondly I think we need to recover our amazement We've lost it. We get cynical. We get older. We get cynical. And we think, how many cards have we got to buy? Who can we clear off the mailing list? You know, well, they hadn't sent us one in three years. We're not going to send them one. And we just get cynical and caustic and hard about Christmas. And we can walk by that Salvation Army bucket and not blink. You see, we've lost the wonder of it all I love the smells of Christmas I love the songs of Christmas I love the decorations of Christmas and the wonder of it is incredible to me and folks that's a long way for me to come because I spent all of my growing up years working in a drugstore with people that didn't care enough to think about a Christmas gift to come buy a cheap bottle of Old Spice for their dad for $2.94 so there'd be something under the tree because they hadn't thought about it until the last minute. I got pretty cynical even as a 9 and 10 year old about Christmas. And I've asked God to restore the joy and the wonder of it to me. That I can still view it like the shepherds viewed it. With amazement. 
that God would love us enough to send his son so that we could have life. I don't want to lose the wonder of Christmas. Number three, we have some thinking to do. It says that Mary pondered this in her heart. She treasured it in her heart. She thought about it. She dwelt on it. She was going deep. And, and, and in this hectic time of the year, when it's, all, it's, it's this party, and then it's this party, and then it's this party, and we've got to clean up, we've got to go, we've got to buy this gift, we've got to go here, we've got to go there, we've got to rush to Grandma's house, we've got to do all these kind of things. In, in a time like this, it's hard to find time to think and to ponder and to meditate. But somewhere this week, do yourself a favor. Get alone. Turn your cell phone off. Get off your computer. Read the Christmas story and think about what Jesus has done for you. Just meditate on it. Think about it. Think about what kind of man Joseph had to be to endure the ridicule and the scorn that was going to come because his virgin bride was pregnant. Think about the ridicule that Mary had to endure in that culture, being pregnant, espoused, engaged, but not married. Think about the way that the Son of God was treated for those 33 years that he was on earth. His own people didn't recognize him. The people that read the word that he had inspired rejected him. The people that knew the prophecies about him and told where Jesus would be born when the wise men came didn't even bother to make a five-mile trip to see if it was true. You want to talk about dealing with rejection. Look at what Jesus dealt with as a man. Well, he was God. He could deal with it. I know, but he was all man, too. And read it and ponder what God has done for us alone. Not in a group discussion, not in a Sunday school class, but just you and the Lord alone with the Word. And marvel that God would do that for you. Not for your family. Not for your friends, not for the world, for you. And then go like Ebenezer Scrooge and look in the mirror with all the junk that you've had in your life and all the times that you've failed and all the times that you know you've let the Lord down and look at yourself in the mirror and say, Lord, I can't believe that you love me that much and worship him. Because when you think about it, the only response is to worship him for what he's done for you. And then finally, set aside time to worship corporately, personally. Verse 20, they return glorifying and praising God. To glorify God is to acknowledge the worth of God. In fact, the old English word for worship is worth-ship. Worship is, is valuing the worth 
of what God has done. They glorify, they worship God, they express the right attitude. They worship the fact that God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They worship the fact that God is all-powerful, the incarnation, the sinless life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension are all evidences of the power of God to overcome anything and everything man can throw in his path. That God is all-wise. He knew the right time to come. In the fullness of time he came. And that God is merciful. He didn't leave us in our lost condition. The song says, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. But you know, he's not a newborn king anymore. He's a dead, living, ascended, ruling Lord who deserves and demands our worship. There's no option here. We are to set aside time to think, but we're also to set aside time to worship. Where they glorify God? Right where they came from. It's one thing to glorify God in church. It'll be one thing to come tonight and to hear the Christmas music and to go to the people in the choir and the orchestra and to Mark and and to Jim and say, oh, that was just so wonderful, that's just so wonderful. But you know what? I'll, I'll know if it's wonderful if somebody you know at work that doesn't believe in Jesus hears you talking about it. That's when you know it's wonderful. Because if you keep church to yourself, if you keep Christ to yourself, he's not wonderful to you. He's just another thing on your calendar. And in a world that's trying to shut Christians up, we need to stand up. Walter Weingren wrote a book called Preparing for Jesus, and I want to read just a little page out of it. It's Christmas Day. The quietness is shattered. God will never, never be silent again. And now the world must know the news. So here comes Gabriel again. Get ready for singing. But this time the angel grows bright before a bunch of nameless folks shepherds. How many? Don't know. And these aren't even the owners of the sheep. They're the working stiffs who are pulling the night watch. They rate because they rate. They are chosen because God chooses them. Jesus, whom they will rush to worship, shall fill his own feast hall with the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind and those who travel the highways and lurk in hedges. The shepherds represent all the nameless, all the working stiffs, the great wheeling population of the world. They are us in the story. The angel says, your Savior is born. Nevermore shall you be ignorant of God and God's deep love for you because I will give you signs for finding that love. Glory to God in the highest. I am the shepherd who came to see you in your manger and I am the one who left with you in my heart. My ears first heard the news of you. My two feet sought you. My eyes ran in darkness and found the light. I have seen you. 
My tongue must tell what my mind knows well. I must make known what the angels told me. I must become the angel of this message until all wonder at what I tell them. My voice, my heart is in my throat. I return to the regions of my past life, and I am glorifying and praising God for all I've heard and seen as it was told me. And then let me add one more line. And it was said of Ebenezer Scrooge that he knew how to keep Christmas well. That needs to be said of us. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.